Amen. Good singing indeed this morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me once again to Isaiah chapter number 9. Remind you that this evening at 5 o'clock is the church Christmas musical. Uh, usually it's a cantata. This year we've done it slightly different, and it's exciting. I think it's going to be a wonderful time. Um, scripture reading, a lot of good songs and singing. hope you can be in your place this evening at 5 o'clock sharp as well. Isaiah chapter 9. Now we just sang about the gentle Lord Jesus. And I'm going to preach to you this morning about the fighting Lord Jesus. Uh, We're going to look at the next title in the name uh, that is given to us here in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. And, And truthfully, It's not a name we usually assign to a little tiny baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes lying there in a manger, but it is a name that God himself gave to what Jesus would do in his character and his conduct, and so we'll understand it in our reading this morning. The Bible says in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Father, help us, I pray this morning, as we come to the Word of God. And we examine yet another description given of who our Christ is is who our Messiah came to be. This morning, Lord, may we commit in our own hearts to take the same actions as our Savior did. May we fight the good fight of faith, as Paul would write in 2 Timothy. May you help us, Lord, to see that the Christian life is not a passive journey. It is active. It is warfare. Bless us, I pray, in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is wonderful. We studied that two weeks ago. He is our incarnate Emmanuel. Last Sunday, we saw that Jesus is counselor. He provides us purpose and a plan. Now we read that he is the mighty God. God's might is what allows him, in verse 7, to govern. The Hebrew word for mighty here implies strength and bravery. Now, many times when we see the phrase, the mighty God, it is actually translated El Shaddai. How many have ever heard that phrase used of God? It means the omnipotent God. It means the all-powerful God. It means the overpowering God. And certainly God is El Shaddai. But the word that is used here is a different Hebrew word. Now you say, well, how would I know that? And the answer is because you came this morning, you now are going to know this. The word here is Gibor, G-I-B-B-O-R. It's the El Gibor. It is God, the warrior, God, the champion, God, the fighter, God the hero. That's how that word would have been used in the Hebrew language. It would have been used of a warrior, of a fighter, of a hero, one who was your champion. And so what God is saying is, Jesus is wonderful, Jesus is counselor, but the third thing that Jesus is, is he's a real fighter and he's going to come and accomplish his work. What a God we serve. Again, 
Wrapping him in swaddling clothes does not make him look like a warrior. But make no mistake, Jesus came to this earth to fight against sin and Satan and the selfishness that pervades this world. It is instructive. The child born is introduced to us as one who would champion a cause for us. He is one who possesses superior power and authority, yes, but he is one who is actively engaged in the battle. Oh, that is a wonderful name to know about Jesus Christ. Make no mistake this morning, Jesus the child, Jesus the son that is given, came to conquer sin, Satan, in this old condemned world. Consider the fighting strength of him when we consider his miracles. The most obvious way that we can see Jesus' strength, his power and his ability, is not only in his death upon Calvary, but it's the miracles that he performed as he walked around this earth. I put them in the top of your notes there, and you can follow along just some of the introductory thinkings on this man, Jesus, who he was and what he did. He came to the blind man in John 9 and healed him. And other times he healed blind individuals, but in healing the blind, he gave them sight so that they could see. That's what he does for us spiritually as well. In Matthew 7, we read that he went to the deaf and mute, the one who could not hear and could not speak. And in Matthew 7, he heals or restores hearing to that deaf one. In Luke chapter 17 and many other places, we find that Jesus cured leprosy. Leprosy is a picture or a type of sin. And so the manifestation of his power to engage and overcome these things shows us what he does for us spiritually as well. The story of the 10 lepers in Luke 17 is an intriguing one. Nine of them failed to come back and show gratitude. Only one did. He recognized what this warrior, this hero, this champion had done for him, and he returns. Jesus also cured lifelong debilitating diseases. And the man whose friends dropped him through the roof took up his bed and walked when Jesus commanded him to do so. The woman with the issue of blood in the Gospel of Mark reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and she's instantly cured of that lifelong ailment. Jesus, beyond the physical needs of mankind, cast out demons when he walked this earth, demonstrating his ability to conquer not just the physical consequences of sin, but in the spiritual realm that he was God. He had the authority over them. Children and adults alike had demons cast out. There is the maniac of Gadara. There is the one who was cast out, and they were cast into the swine in Matthew chapter number 8. When he comes to them, Jesus says, what is your name? They said, we are legion, for we be many. And Jesus says, I'm going to cast you out. And they said, look, look, don't just cast us out. Just send us into that herd of swine. And down the side of the mountain they went and hurled themselves into the sea, demonstrating his ability to fight and overcome even in the spiritual realm. He raised people from the dead. There's no greater demonstration of his ability and his power than raising someone from the dead. Of course, with Jairus and the child, he comes to Jesus and said, Lord, I need your help in healing. And Jesus says, your faith is a remarkable thing. And when Jairus gets home, his child had been healed the very moment Jesus said he would be. With Lazarus, we find a picture of what we have in new life in Jesus Christ. He stood at the tomb and cried, Lazarus, come forth in John chapter number 11. And of course, he came forth 
Interestingly enough, he says to the church, the apostles gathered there, take those old clothes off of him. Get those wraps off of him. This man has new life, in essence. Indeed, his earthly work was one of peace on earth and goodwill towards men, as the angels sang. However, the warrior who is Jesus Christ is not just one who speaks and sees it done. He's one who acts. It's not just in his miracles on his earthly ministry that we can take note. There is also the mastery that this warrior champion will bring to this earth someday. This is a little bit harder for us to understand when we consider the Christ child, the babe in a manger. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11 shows the mastery of who this conquering king really is. Beginning in verse number 11, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. This is Jesus. And in righteousness he doth judge and make what? Well, two of you read it. What does he do? He makes... You know, a lot of Christians have become peace and love hippies. Where all we focus on is the peace and love. I'm not asking you to go out of church today and be a militant. I am asking for this morning in this hour that we stop and we consider the fact that Jesus came to this earth to fight for your salvation, to conquer and to win. And yet we so casually treat Jesus as if he's just some beatnik sitting off in the corner worried about peace and love. The Bible says that he cometh to judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. Those crowns, by the way, are from us. Those crowns are given to him by those that he has redeemed. For those who have worked and fought alongside him, who have recognized him as the mighty God, who have done those righteous acts in the earth that he would do when he was in this earth. That is us this morning. And he's wearing those crowns upon his head. The Bible says he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood from the cross of Calvary. And his name is called the Word of God. And notice what it says next. And the what? It's not a bunch of babies sitting in diapers playing harps who will come back with Jesus in his mastery. It is an army. Because he is a God who wars with sin, who hates sin. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty El Shaddai, omnipotent God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords. You want a better picture of what's going to happen in that moment to all of the enemies of Almighty God, all of those who spat upon him, all of those that beat him, all of those that have ridiculed him, and all of those through the ages since that day at Calvary until this very day today and through into the end of the tribulation period. Here's what will happen to them according to Zechariah chapter number 14. Beginning in verse 3, Zechariah writes, and he writes a little bit historically in context to frame it for his readers, and I'll explain it 
it for us as the readers today. He says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. And as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye, he's speaking to those that will be alive in that day, ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah. That's the historical context. That is the king very close to when Zechariah is writing this, when they're rebuilding the temple under Ezra. He says in the next verse, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. In other words, the glory of God will be resting upon earth and his vengeance will be going out in the earth and there will be no night for them there. No rest. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Go down to verse 9 and we read this. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Again down in verse 11 the Bible says and men shall dwell in it. That is the land. And there shall be no more utter destruction but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now notice the next verse because it's very haunting. Some of you will read it and realize, hey, when they made all these Marvel movies and people disappeared like dust, they were just copying the Bible. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite. Here's our warrior. Here's our hero. Here's our champion. All the people that have fought against Jerusalem, their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. Literally, their eyes will melt within their head. It is graphic. And their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. While this is very horrific to our mind to consider, it is true. Jesus loves the little children of the world, as we sing in nursery school. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But make no mistake, even during this Christmas season of peace on earth, that Jesus Christ is the warrior king who hates sin will conquer and defeat Satan, and will do the same to your own selfish pride. He is the king. So when you read these words, you can take away one truth. Jesus wins. He's the mighty God. He always wins. In the physical realm, in the spiritual realm, and in the final realm, He is the mighty God. God is the El Gibor, the mighty warrior, the champion of our faith, the hero to whom we look to. We don't need to look to sports or, or, or uh, to the musical industry. We don't need to look to finance or to politics. We don't need to look anywhere else in the world. We need only to look at Jesus, our hero, our champion. David knew this. Young David on the battlefield comes to bring some bread and cheese. To his older brothers. And there's a foul-mouthed giant down in that valley. 
cursing his God. And while the rest of them, up on the hillside, are cowering in tents, David says, give me my sling, I'm going to take care of this bozo. Where did he get that fighting spirit? Where did he get that warrior's mentality? The answer is because he knew who his God was. Here's what David says, both to his assembly on the mountainside and to Goliath right there on the battlefield with him. Here's what he says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with sword and spear, for the battle. I mean, this is my warrior God. This is my God who will fight my battles for me. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Do you see the giants that you face in your life as winnable battles, conquerable tasks? That sin that so easily besets you, is it something that you think you can overcome, or is it just something you're going to have to live with until Jesus calls you home? May I suggest to you... Suggest to you this morning, you have a warrior that will fight with you. So this morning, what I want to do in the message, and you say, man, it sounds like you're already preaching. I'm I'm getting warmed up. We won't be long, I promise. I want to talk about how all of this knowledge of who the mighty God is helps us now. So take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8, I often will tell people when we study Romans together, is the winning chapter in sanctification. It's success. The struggle is real in 6 and 7, but man, if you're trying to live sanctified, the payoff comes in chapter 8. The Bible begins the reading here in verse number 31, and it says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, let's pause for a second. Who can be against you? Now, be careful. You might say, yeah, nobody. Now, that is the ultimate end of what Paul's trying to tell us in Romans 8, that there really isn't anyone that can stand up to this warrior God that we serve and love. But may I submit to you, everything in this life is set against you. And it's high time as Christians we wake up to that reality. Your own nature is working against you. Your spouse and his or her nature is working against you. Your children and their nature is working against you. The world is working against you. The devil is working against you. Man, everybody's working against you. But this is what winning looks like. is recognizing that there's a war and that there's a battle. But man, there's a winner because there's a fighter on our side. And that's Jesus Christ, the mighty God. He goes on in verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, for us all, how shall he not with him? Here's the picture. Both God the Father and God the Son are in agreement that they want to give us things freely. Give to us freely all things. Verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect or God's chosen? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall then separate us from the love of God? He asks. Tribulation? Distress? Persecution or famine or nakedness or being completely exposed, in other words? Or peril or sword? 
as it is written. He's quoting Psalm 44 here. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him, through that warrior savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us. For I am persuaded, he says in verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So there's two avenues this morning of our earthly conflict in which Jesus, the mighty God, came to help us fight. The first is that we would overcome our challenges. There are some challenges that are inherent to us. They're built into us. There's some things that are just true in this world. And Jesus, the mighty God, came so that he could help us overcome those challenges. In verse 31, Paul asked a powerful question. If the mighty warrior God be for us, who can be against us? The question causes us, as I noted, to think. Obviously, nothing can separate us from the love of God, but everything is set against us having the love of God. The challenges we face in this life are only overcome by fighting alongside Jesus, agreeing with him and going with him into the battle. There are two basic challenges. Now, I know you'll thank me afterwards. I just summarize all the problems you have into two. I mean, it's very, very overarching, this message. In truth, I could take time and look at every little thing, and there's a lot of little things in a church family our size. Even this morning, I was talking with a family that's been visiting. The husband was supposed to have cancer surgery this week to remove part of the liver, and they said, it's spread too much. You're going to be in chemo until it's done. And I sat right back there in the early service and prayed with them, with them both weeping. And the answer is, we all have problems. We have challenges, physical emotional, spiritual problems that are ours. And so we sometimes look out into the world and say, how am I going to do this? And Jesus says, we can do it. Just come alongside me and let's fight this together. The two basic challenges begin with the challenge of innate sin. It means inborn or inherent sin. Sometimes when I preach, I try to give you what I call duh moments. That's for the teenagers in here. What is the duh moment? God hates sin. You're welcome. Now, some of you, that's all you'll get from today. That's good. That's a good place to start. God hates sin. The good news is Jesus conquered it. He was the warrior. He was the champion. He was the hero that went to Calvary to pay for your sin. Jesus' final cry from Calvary was what? It is finished. This is evidence that sin had been conquered. Sin's debt was paid through his death and through his resurrection. Sin's power is broken in our life. Paul rhetorically asks here in 32, 3 and 4, Who can charge us with sin when God gave Jesus Christ to die for your sin? Nobody can take your salvation away if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. The first challenge is won through the warrior's work. What a truth. What joy. 
God, he even says in this passage, is justified in looking at us as sinless because Jesus Christ had all of our sin laid upon him. That is quite an accomplishment. That is a feat. That took great effort. Of course, mankind's challenge began when Adam chose in the garden of his free will to sin. And sin, as we're told throughout the pages of Scripture, brought forth death or separation from God. Romans 5, verses 12 and 18 teaches this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, it's not just Adam's fault, it's your fault too. It's my fault too. It's not just, well, doggone it, Adam, you sinned, and thankfully I've lived my 47 years in perfection. I don't need to get saved. No, I'm 47, and there was a day in my life where I had to admit that I also personally was a sinner in need of a Savior. That's why verse 18 is so great. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, or the work of our warrior, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life, or proof of life. Our mighty God, our warrior king, our savior Jesus Christ, fought sin's temptation as he walked this earth and won. He chose to die according to the Father's will rather than to live according to his own human flesh. Matthew 26 verse 39 shows us what the battle looked like. And it was real. Sometimes we have this idea that Jesus started working in his earthly ministry by calling some guys by a seaside. And the rest of the time he walked around kind of twiddling his thumbs until it was time to die on Calvary. No, the entire three and a half years of ministry and the 30 years before it were his work as a warrior to not engage in sin. The Bible tells us he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Matthew 26 and verse 39, he says this, or the Bible records this. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup was that? The cup of death, the cup of sin, the cup of suffering. These were all his because he had willfully come into this world, as we noted last week, as the counselor. He is our advocate to the Father, but advisor to us. He came to accomplish the plan that was established from the foundation of the world. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here's a fighting spirit. You want to have a good fighting spirit as a Christian? Have a lot of times where you say, I don't want to do that. Nevertheless, I will. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. By the way, here he comes to his fellow fighters in the next verse. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. You could literally read that. Fight! That's what he's saying to Peter. That ye enter not into temptation. Why? Because the spirit is willing. But boy, the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, except I finish the course, and he did, thy will be Jesus came in the flesh 
so that he might conquer the sin that condemns our flesh. The writer of Hebrews said it this way in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him. Friends, this is a picture of a champion, of a hero, of a fighter, of a warrior, of El Gibor. That he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them. That's you and me if we put our faith in Jesus this morning. Who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily or truly he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Or he came as a man. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. We could honestly say that he might be a merciful and faithful fighting savior or redeemer. And things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that him, he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to support. Give assistance. To them that are tempted. That's you and me this morning. What he fought, we can fight. How he fought, we can fight. Here in Romans 8, we're asked, who is able to condemn you? Who can make a charge against you? And the answer is, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, no one. The primary human challenge is sin. That is our separation from God. Yet our Savior, Jesus Christ, conquered sin. What a mighty God we serve, as the old hymn writer says. Our first challenge is that of innate or inborn sin. The second that each of us faces is this, impossible circumstances. Now, this is very broad stroke. I get it. You did not come here today for a deep dive into one um, theological topic. What I'm doing is doing a broad brushstroke, but I want you to understand something. There isn't an area of your life that God cannot help you, no matter the circumstance or the situation. There's not one. The next series of questions in Romans 8 from Paul focus less on the challenge of natural sin and more on the challenge of the problems we face. Does anybody in here have problems? All right, there's five of you that are honest, and the rest of you are still writing that note. We all have problems. We all have struggles. One of the tasks, one of the callings as a pastor is that often I am brought into your suffering together. I'm made aware of the depth of the problem, whatever it may be, physical, emotional, or spiritual. I'm brought into that and I try to suffer with you. But can I tell you, there is one fighter in this world that is much better to have on your side than pastor, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not matter what impossible situation impossible circumstance, or unbelievable problem you face. He is there to fight alongside you. Every believer will endure hardship. That's what he says in verses 35 and 36. He asks the rhetorical, who shall separate us? By the way, that's an interesting question, because the only thing that can separate us from the love of God is we ourselves when we forget the love of God. Who? And then the questions are all about things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? And the answer is, in which one of those 
Will it cause you to give up following hard after God and fighting in your faith to serve the Lord? The mighty God is always there in every spiritual, emotional, or physical hardship to fight alongside us. I love reading in the Gospels the stories of Jesus when he faced opposition. We probably in each of them would have called down lightning on those who opposed us. Thankfully, we aren't God. Jesus just calmly and confidently met head-on whatever the confrontation or comfort that needed to be given was. Testing, tribulation, temptation, these are all words that are used. Yes, even in triumph. All of these are ours in this life. In Christ, we can have victory in the good and in the bad situations we find ourselves in. I think there are times that we agree with what Paul wrote here, that we all feel as accounted as sheep for the slaughter. I don't know about you, but there's some days I get to the end of the day and just say this, man, I feel like this day was killing me. I mean, it was a long day. Now, don't raise your hand on this one, but have you had a day like that? Have you had a week like that? Have you had a month like that? Oh, I hope you don't have a life like that. Because as Christians, we may be accounted that way. It may be what we feel like. But man, we are more than conquerors. Because there's a God that fights alongside us. If we need comfort, He's there to comfort. If we need confrontation, He's there to confront. If we need knowledge, He's there to instruct. If we need to be challenged, Jesus and His Word is willing to challenge us to extend ourselves and go beyond our current faith. He would do it often with the apostles. The greatest story of that is Jesus walking on the water and Peter saying, if it's really you, let me join you. That's the fighting mentality. God, God, if this is the way you want me to go, if this is you, if this is your leading, then help me get right alongside you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's an important lesson from that story. But get in the business of it. Act in faith. Jesus did all the miracles, certainly while incarnate, And yet he continues to do these things in the lives of those who have faith in him. What challenge, what circumstance of life do you need to overcome? What sinful situation is besetting you today that you know through the Spirit of God? You say, well, you haven't talked about it. Can I tell you a secret? I haven't really talked about anybody's problems today. I've just talked about the fact that we all have problems that we face. Whatever it is, the Spirit of God says, hey, that one right there. Deal with that today. You have a fighting Savior, a loving Savior, a sacrificing Savior, but one who is the El Gibor who will come along and be the mighty God to help you fight in that circumstance of life. Jesus enables us to overcome our challenges of innate, inherent, inborn sin and any impossible circumstance that ever comes your way. The natural second battlefront on which Jesus exerts his power is in our choices. Once we have met the challenges, we are left with choices. Again, if you're following along carefully, we have a wonderful Savior who was incarnate Emmanuel. We have a counselor who brought us a purpose and a plan. And now we see we have a mighty God. And that mighty God, in his wonderful love, helps us overcome any challenge that we're going to face following him on this earth. But he's really focused on the choices we make. You know, any good commander wants to know that the soldiers know the routine, know the drill. 
know what they're supposed to do. In our original text this morning that we've drawn all of these messages for the next couple weeks also out of is Isaiah 9, and 6, and 7. The very beginning of chapter 9 and verse 7, he says this, Of the increase of his government, the word government there literally means the idea of his authority or his exercising authority, and of his peace, that is his satisfaction, there shall be what? No end. Boy, that is applicable to us. If we have followed the mighty God, then of his increase, of his increase of authority, of his increase of peace and satisfaction in our lives and even into the future, into the eternal state, there will be no end. It is infinite. It is limitless. Boy, that tells me something this morning. Jesus wants to be in your every choice. He wants to be in your every thought. He wants to be in your every decision. Of the increase. It is interesting. The word increase means ever increasing or ever expanding. This word in the Hebrew would have been used of a king or an emperor methodically expanding his empire, conquering, quelling, and then confiscating all that used to belong to the enemy. Do you know when you get saved, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, He becomes the mighty God. And of His influence, increase in your life, there is no end to what He can't touch. And so, Christian, if there's areas of your life that are, don't touch this, you're wrong. And the mighty God will stand there, in some instances, even fighting against you. One of the great pictures, and we'll study him next year in January, is Joshua going into the promised land. And he stands there, and whom does he meet in Joshua 5? The captain of the Lord of hosts. That captain has his sword drawn. He's ready to go to war. He's ready to help them, but they have to yield to him to see success. This speaks directly, this idea of the increase of his authority in government, directly into our everyday choices. Paul addresses this in our passage here in Romans 8, in verse 38, the beginning of it. He says what? I am... Well, four of you read it. Well, are you? (laughs) persuaded. What does he say in the beginning of verse 38? For I am... You didn't put it on the board, Kyle. I couldn't read it. Bring your Bible. I am persuaded. I'm convinced. This is a mental state. This is the reality of what confidence looks like in the direction God is leading us. The commander is right. The battalion is formed, and off we march to do the work of God. It speaks to being convinced or developing a conviction for acting in a certain way. Your choices matter to the hero, to the champion. He cares. He from heaven is looking down and saying, What are you doing for my glory? Here's what I did for your good. I died for you. Our hero stands with us on the battlefield, and I often wonder if he stands all by himself because we're not engaged in the fight. Christ will help you fight sin and selfishness and Satan, but you must make the choice to engage. The, choice ma- the choices, I should say, match the challenges here in our outline. First, we must pe- be persuaded that, letter A, he brings us life. 
John the Baptist said this when Jesus approached in John 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. The most important choice you will ever make is do you believe that Jesus came to take away your sins? The mighty God who came to conquer your sin wants to personally be yours. John would later say in his epistle in 1 John 5 and verse 5, Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Down in verse 11 he goes on and says, And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. Jesus would say it this way in his beloved chapter on the vine and abiding in the vine. In John 15 and verse 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And then he gives to them how he would manifest or demonstrate that love to them. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for who? His friends, those that will fight alongside him. When I was a teenager, I thought I was going to get in trouble. This isn't in my notes, so I better be careful how I say it. There was a boy at our school that was making fun of my sister. And like most homes, fighting was not a good thing. And Kyle wasn't really a big, strapping young man. But that kid, David, was making fun of my sister. And I hit him so hard, I knocked his braces through his top lip. I know, sounds horrible. At least I didn't make his eyes consume out of their holes. <laughs> I remember I went home and I told my dad, and my dad said, if you're sticking up for your sister, I'm always on your side. Now, I don't know if that applies here, but it simply means this. When you're on the same side as someone, they'll work with you. Jesus wants to work with us to overcome the innate, inborn problems of sin and even the consequences that challenge us day by day. But it begins by us having Him in our life and receiving the new life that only comes through faith in Him. The choice to accept that Jesus laid down His life for your life is the choice of salvation. It is the first conviction, the first persuasion, the first choice that we must make. What a warrior our Savior was. What a hero. What a friend to us. That he would come to give his life so that we may receive new life only in him. It is this first choice that Jesus helps us with the matter of life that opens up perpetual daily choices, persuasions, in the fact that we are to be building or that he engages in building our love. He builds our love. Letter B. In verses 38 and 39, once we are persuaded, convinced, once we know that we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, there is a whole process of things that we realize can't separate us from him. Death can't separate you. I think it's interesting that he says the very next one. Life won't separate you. Do you know what? And I'm going to be very, very careful here. I'm very sensitive to this because of certainly those who have gone on to glory from our church family over the last several years. Those who have died in Christ do not have to suffer with the problems that we have to suffer with anymore. 
It's obviously not the preferable option, but it is certainly one of the blessings. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of His saints. What Paul says here is, look, death is certainly not going to separate you from the love of God because you'll be immediately in His presence. He also says, neither does life. And the problem for so many of us is we let life get in the way of the love of God. How amazing is that? Neither life, death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities or powers. He deals with the spiritual powers of this earth, and then he deals with the political powers of this earth. There's nothing, there's no government of this world, there's no authority on this planet that can separate or take away from you the salvation you have. That's how conquering Jesus was in his death, burial, and resurrection. He soundly and fully defeated sin. He goes on and talks about uh, things that are present, things that are, that, that are to come, things now or things in the future. Nothing that is of height, nor of depth, nor of any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. It reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews said. Paul writing here, in Hebrews the writer said this in Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us, let we warriors who are here present hold fast our profession. Hold on tight! We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows exactly what it feels like to be down. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to have nothing. He knows what it feels like to see the anguish and the consequence of sin that it ravages on the bodies of human beings. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Here's the payoff. Let us therefore come boldly. Under the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy. When you come to God in your hour of need, in your, in your critical choices of the moment, you're coming to God first and saying, I don't know how to fight this. I don't know how to beat this. I don't know how to overcome this. But I'm asking that I might obtain mercy to do so and find grace to help win in the time of need. God wants you to come to him when you have choices that seem too hard for you. When the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword come, Jesus wants to build us up through his love, through his mercy, through his grace, so that we might love him evermore. He wants us to trust Him, to talk to Him, to take His counsel and His Word and actively and intentionally use it then in our lives. The character and conduct of Jesus Christ is to powerfully overcome on the battlefield of your life. He is the mighty God, the El Gibor. Your character and conduct should match His then. Become persuaded that there is nothing in this world that's going to separate you from his love except for your doubt and your delay. May I say the world needs strong believers today, not weak ones. It seems that we are filled up with a bunch of namby-pamby Christians that only believe in that love and peace of God. God is love. God does bring peace that passes all understanding. We'll see that in two names later. But He's first a mighty God 
that will fight the battles that need to be fought. Are you willing to do that? God has designed the Christian life to be a life of warfare. Oh, Merry Christmas. Far too many of us in the Christian life just give in to doing whatever our flesh wants to do. It would be no different than a soldier on the battlefield being derelict in his combat duty. This morning, take some time to commit to God that you'll become persuaded that the choices you make matter first to Him, our hero, our El Gibor. And that second, those choices made with Him and working with Him will benefit your life and bring about great peace that has no end. Jesus is the mighty God in closing. I put in the bottom of your notes, our hero warrior was born humbly, he lived sinlessly, he died vicariously, and he rose victoriously, all so that you as a believer may be able to fight against sin, Satan, and your own selfishness. Get in the fight. If you're not in the fight against your flesh, I must say, from the Word of God, you are disappointing Him. Not me. Well, Pastor, I know I let you down. You know, there's not been a single person that's ever let me down who doesn't have the last name of Fannin. As a father, there are expectations I have on my sons. As a son, there was expectations my father had on me. As believers and children and sons of God, there are expectations He has on us. If we're not in the fight, we're not dis- disappointing anybody but Him. He, our mighty God, helps us meet the challenges and make the choices that a Christian warrior must make on the battlefield of life. Jesus, wonderful incarnate Emmanuel. Jesus, counselor of purpose and of plan. Jesus, the mighty God for life's challenges and for everyday choices. Oh, what a child was given to us. Father, help us, I pray, as we close.